We've been in this series called Powerless, and it's about really uh, <clears throat> what the Bible talks about is that we're powerless without, the, without Jesus said, without me, uh, John chapter 15, verse 5 says, without me, you are powerless. And so that's really where the thought, if you will, behind this series comes from. But part of what we've been doing through this series is I've been... Uh, encouraging you to send me questions about the Holy Spirit. So I'm going to answer one more question uh, today about the Holy Spirit before, and really specifically, this one's about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which has been kind of a, a, a focal point of this series. But the question that came in is this, it says, why do we not see any example in Scripture of Jesus speaking in tongues? Very valid question, very good question. And, uh, and so I'm not telling you absolutely but I'm going to give you a couple of scriptures of why I believe this to be true. Uh, this would be the first point that I would make about this specific topic. Number one is Jesus is not like us in this sense. Is that, and I'll show you why I say that. Um, because, for one, Jesus didn't have a sin nature like we do. Jesus came so that we could, what, overcome our sin nature. So that we could move beyond that and that we don't have to be dominated by it. And in John chapter 3, verse 34... It says this, and this is John the Baptist speaking about Jesus, the one who had come. They had come and said, you know, people had come and asked John the Baptist, said, hey, are you the Messiah? That's kind of the context of the statement. And John the Baptist speaks here and he says, the one whom God has sent to represent him will speak the words of God. For God has poured out upon him the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And this last two words is the key part, without limitation. Is that Jesus had the fullness of God. Now, we want the fullness of God, but how many of you know sometimes we get in the way? I mean, let's just be honest. We all get in the way of what God wants to do in our life. And yet Jesus was able because, and, and, and I don't have time to teach on it, but Jesus was not born with a sin nature like we were. That's the reason he had to be born, the Bible says, was born of a woman, right? Not of the seed of man because sin has passed from that's the way it works, right? And so Jesus was different in this sense. And so, uh, so that's one aspect is that, and, and really even if you want to get very technical about it, Jesus didn't have the Holy Spirit until he got water baptized. Now you don't have to get water baptized to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, but it was prophetic, which meant God said it beforehand, so it had to happen. And he had told John, when you see the Holy Spirit descend on one, that is the Messiah. And so when Jesus got water baptized, it says what? That he saw the Holy Spirit fall on him as of a dove. He's not a dove. I know the Holy Spirit many times is pictured as a dove. He's not a dove. He's not a bird. He's God. He's part of the uh, Trinity. He's the third part of the Trinity. And so he's as much God as Jesus is. And, you know, and, and so all of these things. And yet we see this that once Jesus is baptized, the Bible says he was led into the wilderness for 40 days. And he came out of the wilderness in the power of the Holy Spirit. That's just the chronology of Scripture there. And, and so Jesus never performed a miracle until after he was water baptized and filled with the Holy Spirit. Well, that tells me if Jesus needed the Holy Spirit, how much more do we? Right? And, and so uh, the, another, another aspect, maybe the second part of, to answer this question, I would say comes out of John chapter 7, verse 37. We're going to look at this verse this morning as well. But just this verse 37. I'm sorry, this is actually verse 39, not 37. But this is Jesus speaking and talking about the Holy Spirit. We'll look at this in context here in a little bit. But he talks about when he said living water, he was speaking of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, who would be given to everyone believing in him. 
This is the key part in regards to this question. It says, but the Spirit had not yet been given because Jesus had not yet entered into his glory. So, And I know that this would be somewhat semantical, if you will, because you're like, well, I thought the Holy Spirit came upon Jesus, but yet the Holy Spirit hasn't been given. Let me say it this way. Is the Holy Spirit had not yet been given in this function? Is that that function was reserved for those who would believe and put their faith in Christ? So... I'm not telling you absolutely, but from what I can see in Scripture, there's my answer. So it may not help you at all. It may not answer your question at all. But this is why I believe uh, partly that we don't see this. And, And so, number one, I believe it's because Jesus had the Holy Spirit without any hindrances. He didn't get in the way of the Holy Spirit's operation in his life, uh, which we can. Um, But the second is I don't believe that the season or the time was right for the Holy Spirit to come. And so uh, over the last number of weeks now, I think this is week seven, if I counted correct, um, that we've been on this series. And and so I want to remind you of a couple of things that we've talked about and discussed over the last number of weeks about this. And then we'll get into some content for today. Uh, But first and foremost, I believe that we are to be saved. In other words, we're supposed to put our faith in Christ. Why? Because without salvation, there is no forgiveness of sins. Therefore, if there's no forgiveness of sins, what do we need the help of the Holy Spirit to live godly for? Right? And so there are some, the Bible calls it uh, the fruit of the Spirit. But let me say it this way. There are signs that come from the operation and the cooperation with the Holy Spirit. It comes out of Galatians chapter 5 and verse 22. I'm just going to read the very first part. But it says the fruit of the Spirit or the results of His presence within us. And this has kind of been a focus over this series. Is I want you to understand that this is not an external force. Like God doesn't work from the outside in. God works from the inside outward and so throughout this series we've been looking at this and that word keeps sticking kind of showing up if you will a lot and so the presence or the result of the holy spirit working within us what it produces some fruit love peace patience kindness gentleness faithfulness self-control they could have just left that one out and we would have been totally good right i can handle all the rest of them but when it comes to that self-control thing i just don't like that one Like, well, what does that look like? Sometimes the Holy Spirit will prompt you and say, stop it. Shut your mouth. Don't say that. But I want to. It's like in volleyball. It's just set up perfectly. And I want to just come in and. And the Holy Spirit's like, don't go there. That's why I need the Holy Spirit. Right? I need his help. And yet when he works. And it's important to understand that it's not just a mental exercise. This is something that happens on the inside in verse 25 of Galatians 5 says, If we claim to live by the Holy Spirit, we must also walk by the Spirit, our conduct being empowered by the Spirit. See, that word empowered is very important. I'm not trying to just be more godly. What I'm trying to do is to cooperate with the Holy Spirit as he works in my life and he will create in me, what? The behaviors that will make me godly. I just have to cooperate. I'm not trying to force it, not trying to make it happen. I'm trying to cooperate. And so I've shared this thought with you multiple times is that Jesus saves us, but it's our cooperation with the Holy Spirit that actually enables us to change. Have you ever tried to change yourself? I've tried many times and it's very frustrating. And I have learned that if I'll just listen to the Holy Spirit and just do what he tells me to do, Because here's the thing, when the Holy Spirit speaks something to our heart, there's also power that accompanies that instruction. 
to overcome that area of my life. And so it's not just me trying to figure it out. It's me working with the Holy Spirit, cooperating with him, allowing him to lead me and guide me as the Bible talks about in John 14 and John 16. We've talked about this. Is the Bible says what he will lead us into all truth. What happens when we get truth? Freedom comes. And the Bible says that Jesus came that we could have and live in freedom. And so if we want to experience it all, then we have to learn to cooperate with the Holy Spirit. And so, you know, I said this last week and I'll repeat it again, is that the Holy Spirit is not mystical. That's very important. People think the Holy Spirit is weird. You know, some people would even use the term the Holy Ghost. And people are like, ooh, ghost, weird, speaky, freaky stuff. And no, he's not mystical at all. He's actually extremely practical. He's very, very, very practical. And so we need to understand this. And so, you know, when we see and we start talking about the Holy Spirit and we start looking at who he is and what he wants to do, because according to Scripture, he's actually a person. The person and the work of the Holy Spirit is what God wants to do. And so we put our faith in Christ, but now the Holy Spirit becomes our teacher. He becomes the one to help us to live out the salvation that we hold to. You know, it's why the Bible talks about to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. That verse really specifically translated is to work it in to every part of your life. You're not trying to wrestle for your salvation. What you want to do is to apply that salvation to every aspect of your life and of your heart. Why? Because it produces God's desires in our life. And so this morning I want to look at a few things and uh, I'm going to have to hurry up. So I'm going to go ahead and ask for forgiveness if I start talking like, uh, what was that? What was that commercial? The guy that talked really fast with the little mini cars. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Micro machines. Thank you, Topper. They get on there and go, yeah, so if I start talking really fast, I'm going to apologize now. Uh, because typically I would teach this in Bible school. Uh, just so that, I mean, I taught it for years. And uh, it's probably one of my favorite things, but it is quite uh, information heavy. Which is not my typical. But, um, you know, but it is really good. And, and I believe that it will help you. And I, so, I know that when I at, mentioned this a few weeks ago, I just said something about the rivers of living water. And I said, how many of you would like to know what those rivers are? And a bunch of hands went up. Right? I don't know if you remember that. And I said, okay, I'll try to maybe see if I can. So here we are today. And I'm going to teach it to you. And uh, so let's start in uh, Luke chapter 3, verse 16. And it says, any, or it says, everyone was expecting the Messiah to come soon. And they were eager to know whether John might be the Messiah. And John answered the question and says, I baptize with water. But someone is coming who is greater than I am. So much greater that I'm not even worthy to be his slave or to untie his straps of his sandals. He says, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And so, as we've talked about, there's three types of baptism in Scripture. There's the baptism of salvation. You can't get saved without the Holy Spirit. It requires, what, the conviction of the Holy Spirit for you to say, hey, I, I need forgiveness. So, the, the, the Holy Spirit is at work in a measure at salvation. There's water baptism, which is where salvation is a private event, something you do in your heart. Like me, I got saved in my bed by myself. Nobody else had to be there. Water baptism is when we go public with our faith. You say, well, why do we do it? Because Jesus told us to. Do we need a better reason? Right? Jesus said so. He died for me. I can get wet for him. Like, it's not that complicated. And, uh, you know, I mean, don't overthink it. It's, you know. 
I don't mean any disrespect by the statement, but I'm just saying. I mean, it's, it, it is an outward sign. It's going public with our faith. It is important. And I believe that there are, there is, it is a significant event in the life of every believer. And so if you've never been water baptized, I would encourage you to. Uh, the third baptism that we see is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And as it says right here, it says that Jesus will baptize with the Holy Spirit and fire. And so one of the things that always stands out to me is that, okay, so I get baptized in the Holy Spirit, but it, what's this with fire bit? You know, we were actually just singing a song, which kind of coincidentally we sang today. I didn't know we were singing it, but it was refiner, you know, refine my heart. Well, part of a refining process always takes fire. You have to apply heat to it and it separates out impurities. Like you take gold and you can put it at a certain temperature and all the impurities, all the other metals will rise to the top, the junk, if you will. And then what's left is pure gold. Well, here it says that, you know, that he will, um, so you kind of have the thought, if you will, what's the purpose of fire? Yes, it purges. Yes, it purifies. It does refine us, but it also helps keep our heart soft and tender to the Lord. And it's important that we are exposed to the work of the Holy Spirit on a regular basis because if we're not, and this is a choice that we have to make, God will never force anything on you, ever. Ever, ever, ever. God will never make you do anything you don't want to do. But there are times where if we're not careful, we can become a little bit stale. And we have to surrender our hearts to the work of the Holy Spirit. Why? So that he can come in and refine us and it keeps our heart tender. Because we can become calloused. It's actually one of the things that I have said for my 20 plus years of being in ministry is that if I ever get calloused, I'll quit. If I ever become jaded and people's problems don't bother me, that I'm, I'm done. Why? Because, and it's kind of a mark because if that happens, I know that my heart has become calloused. My heart has become cold and I don't want that to happen with you and I definitely don't want that to happen with my relationship with the Lord either. And it can become that very easily where we're just going through the motions. And so we need the work of the Holy Spirit for what? To keep our relationship with God alive, fresh, new. And so this is one of the aspects of what the Holy Spirit does. And so one of the things that we need to understand when we start talking about how God works and even about understanding how the Bible works, we have to understand some basic principles of Scripture. And so... One of the things that we see, and, and you can call it prophetic, you can call it lots of things, but God hides truth in the Old Testament that have New Testament implications. So there's nothing that God does in the New Testament that he didn't tell us about previously. I mean, that's why God says, I'll declare the end from the beginning. In other words, I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do, then I'm going to do it, and then you'll be like, oh, that's what that's all about. Think about the book of Revelation. Anybody an expert on the book of Revelation? Anybody got all the answers? Why? Because it is concealed. Now things happen and we're like, oh, that's what that was about. It's like when Jesus told the disciples that, hey, it's better for you that I leave. Like to us, it's like, duh, of course. He had to go to the cross so that he could go to the grave so he could rise again so he could pay for my sins. And they're thinking like they're freaked out because they're like, no, you're supposed to take over. You're supposed to overthrow the Roman government. You're not supposed to leave. What do you mean it's better? And he says, because if I don't leave, the Holy Spirit won't come. 
And they're like, who? Holy what? Like, what are you talking about? And of course, in John 14 and John 16, if you haven't read those chapters, I would encourage you to. You can read chapter 15 because it's really good too. And it's all about Jesus talking about the Holy Spirit and our connection with God. And so you can think of it this way. It's like even in the life of Jesus that in the Old Testament, Jesus was concealed. Although God gave very clear instructions as to where Jesus would come, when he would be born. All of these things, there's over 300 prophecies where God foretold about the coming of Christ. So it shouldn't have been so much of a shock, but we would probably have been shocked too if it happened in our day. But God will conceal things within the Old Testament. And so sometimes these are called types or shadows of things to come. And so this is important to know. And I know that so because I need you to understand because what I'm about to teach you in a couple minutes, I'm going to show you how this looks. So, But I need you to understand. And so one of the things about Scripture, have you ever read a Scripture and it confused you? And you had the thought like, what does that mean? And you're like, Lord, um, I don't understand. One of the things in, about Scripture is that the Bible is self-interpreting. In other words, if you get stuck at one place, there's probably a Scripture that is the key to unlock that Scripture. And so many times, even in the New Testament, there are things that we may not be able to understand. Like, give you an example of this. The Bible talks about that when Jesus returns, he's coming to establish a new heaven and a new earth. Well, what's that going to look like? It's in the Old Testament. Go look at the tabernacle. It talks about it. It says, this is just a, a type. It, 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 it's an example of what the, the one that will later will look like. And so we have to understand this. So, the, so we can unlock Scripture by other Scriptures. And this is important. And so, uh, you know, and they're just keys to unlock truth. Sometimes we just got to be willing to what? Put in a little bit of work. And if I'm honest, one of the things that has bothered me over the last number of years, is how little people that are Christians know of the Bible. And that's not an indictment. It's just, I mean, a generation ago, every, the majority of people were in Sunday school. And they were taught basic Bible growing up. Well, that's not the day in which we live. And so we've lost that element. And, and so, but it is important that we understand some things. And so even, have you ever heard the name Jehovah? Like throughout scripture, that word, that name is actually defined as the self-existent one who reveals himself. It is God's desire and God's pleasure to reveal who he is and what he wants to do to us. He's not hiding things from us. He's actually what he has hidden understanding for us. Give another example of this. The Bible tells us that if Satan would have known what would happen by crucifying Christ, he would have never crucified him. Well, if God would have just come out and said, hey, this is the game plan. Here's how it's going to work. Let me draw it out. He'd be like, nope, I ain't doing that. I'm just going to let him be Jesus. He's going to be awesome. But then I ain't got to worry about everybody else. Well, the problem was Satan didn't understand what God was doing. And so God's plan was fulfilled. And here we are today enjoying the salvation that we get to claim and hold on to. And so you can think of many times the scriptures are like this. Is that it's like a treasure map. And there are marks and symbols and clues that will point us in a direction that will lead us to a treasure. So many times you will hear me talk about scriptures. And I'm about to give you one in Isaiah 58. About the promises of God. 
right? You hear me talk about, and I really encourage you to grab hold of God's word and grab hold of the promises of God and stand upon them so that they produce in your life. Let me give you an example of one. This ties in with what uh, really what I want to share with you this morning. Isaiah 58 verse 11. It's such a, just an amazing scripture to me. So many promises are kind of packed into this one verse. And it says, the Lord will guide you continually. Promise number one. You never have to be alone. Doesn't mean you don't feel like it, but by faith, God says, what? I will continually guide you. Number, so that's promise number one. Here's number two. I will give you water when you are dry. When your heart is calloused, I will still work. Even when you feel like, man, I'm just spiritually dry. God says, hey, I will give water. Second promise. Third promise. I will restore your strength. Says you will be like a well-watered garden, like an ever-flowing spring. This is a, a promise in the Old Testament of what life would be like living with, with salvation, living with the Lord. And so this verse actually sounds very similar and it, it reminds me of several scriptures where Jesus was speaking about the work of the Holy Spirit. And in John 4, verses 13 and 14, Jesus says this. He says, anyone who drinks... Now, this is the woman at the well. You'll have to go read it in context. I'm just going to read two verses. But he basically says, hey, give me some water. And she says, how are you going to get some water? You don't even have a bucket. And he says, if you knew who was standing before you, you would be asking me for real living water and you would never be thirsty again. And she says, I want that. And Jesus responds and says, anyone who drinks this water will be soon be thirsty. But those who drink the water that I give will never be thirsty again. She's talking about physically drinking something. Jesus is on a whole different subject. And it, he goes on, he says, it becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. So again, here's that word, within them, right? He says that, that this life, this river, this this uh, the satisfaction, if you will, of the soul is going to bubble up from the inside. John 7, verse 37 through 39 says this. says, on the most important day of the feast, the last day, Jesus stood up and shouted to the crowds. He says, all of you thirsty ones, come to me. Come to me and drink. He says, believe in me so that rivers of living water will burst out from within. He says, within you. It says, flowing from your innermost being, just like the spirits, the, the scripture says, it says, Jesus was prophesying about the Holy Spirit that believers who were being prepared to receive, but the Holy Spirit had not yet been poured out on them because Jesus had not been unveiled into his full splendor. So now I'm going to start teaching you. I had to do all of that to get to this because I need you to understand where we're coming from. So here's the thing. And look, I'm a big, I'm big on names and words and like, what that why is that so i'll give you a picture into my brain how many rivers are there it says rivers of living water it didn't say a river a river is a different statement it says rivers plural will come out of your innermost being and this is about the work of the holy spirit right this is what he said he says believe in me salvation so that rivers of living water will flow from within you. And he says, he's talking about the Holy Spirit. The work of the Holy Spirit. And so, 
Biblically speaking, and as I've studied this out, the word rivers here is an interesting word. It means to receive into the soul that which serves to refresh, strengthen, and nourish unto eternal life. So even the words here matter, like the individual words matter. The word living, so it says rivers of living water. Living means to be full of vigor or life, to be fresh, to be strong, to be active, to be powerful. And there's other words. So when you take these words, rivers, and so you put living water, you put them together, it actually means having vital power. The water, the river, if you will, has vital power in itself, and it exerts the same on the soul. Okay, well, let's talk about the soul. What is the soul? It is the mind, will, and your emotions. You are a three-part being. You have a body. You possess a soul. You are a spirit man. You're a three-part being. God said, let us make man in our image and in our likeness. God is a triune, three-part being. So are we. And here, and this is what I need you to know, is that when you got saved, your spirit, the Bible says, is renewed. It's remade. Your spirit, man, came alive unto God in the moment that you put your faith into Christ. But you still have a flesh that we battle with. We still have a mind, will, and emotions. And here it says that this river of living water will what? And I think it's interesting. It doesn't spell out and say that, hey, this river of living water will just affect your body. I believe that it can. But what it does say... It says that it has vital power in itself. The work of the Holy Spirit in us will exert influence upon our soul, upon the way we think, the way we perceive things. In other words, the Holy Spirit will help me see things properly. Even in the midst of of difficulties, I can see God working. I can be encouraged even in the midst of, of really adverse situations When I allow the Holy Spirit to work on the inside of me. And that's what allows me to what? To to keep believing God even in the midst of really challenging moments. But it's the help of the Holy Spirit. And so as I've already asked the question. but So it says that there are multiple rivers. So there's a a principle in scripture that any time that you're trying to unlock a scripture. It's called the principle or the law of first mention. Which means that if you want to know what the word means, go find out the first time it's talked about in Scripture. And that declares the meaning of how that word should be used and the the purpose and the meaning of that word. And so here it talks about multiple rivers. And so, okay, well, where do we see multiple rivers in Scripture? There's only two Scriptures and only one of them actually has anything applicable to that I can define. Because it's I forget where it is, but there's one other Scripture that talks about rivers and I have no idea what it means. I cannot tell you. I, I've tried and searched. I'm like, there's got to be something. And I got nothing for you on that one. Thankfully, there is another one, though, that I believe does apply to what we're talking about. And it actually goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. It's actually in Genesis chapter 2. And uh, so I'm just going to read verse 10. And then I'm going to describe to you the next several verses. Because I want to define. Because uh, I think it's important. And so it says in verse 10 of, of uh, Genesis 2. It says that a, a river flowed from the land of Eden. Watering the garden. And it divided into four branches. So there's one river in the garden of Eden. As it flows it breaks into four branches. Now two of these rivers we don't know where they are today. Two of these rivers we do because they're called the same thing today. So all the way back in Genesis 2, 
There's some names. Well, how many of you know that names are significant to God? I mean, think about it. I mentioned John the Baptist. There was debate about what he should be named. And the, an angel showed up and said, his name is John. To his dad. And his dad writes it out and said, his name is John. All these things. I won't go into the story behind it. And then all of a sudden, everybody's like, John? Like, nobody in the family's named John. And they were like, but this is what the Lord said. His name is to be John. Why? Because his name was significant. So God doesn't name anything haphazardly. And we need to understand this. And so here in Ephesians, or I'm sorry, in, I don't know why I keep saying Ephesians. Genesis chapter 2, it says that there are four branches. So four rivers flow out of this one. And so when we actually begin to look into and to study these rivers, there's meaning in the names, but there's also characteristics about the rivers that are different about each one. That I believe help us understand what the Bible is talking about when it says that rivers of living water will flow. So the first one. It's called the Pishon. So the word Pishon by definition means to increase, to grow up. I'm just going to tell you the way it's written. To grow up fat. A nice way to say that is to, to enlarge. Isn't that so much more PC? Like just that's so much more pleasant. That's what I'm going to tell my wife next time. She's like, are you putting on some weight? No, I'm just enlarging. I'm just enlarging. So let me give you the context of what we're talking about here. Because I, I need you to understand this and stay with me. Is that when we're praying in the Holy Spirit, this is what's happening. Like all four of these characteristics that I'm telling you, that I'm about to, we're about to walk through in the next few minutes together. As you begin to pray in the Holy Spirit, you begin to pray in that heavenly language, this is what I believe is happening. From what I can see from Scripture, this is what I believe. And so, you, so Pishon here means to increase. It, it also has, which, so this is, the Old Testament was written in Hebrew. The New Testament is written in Greek. The New Testament word of Pishon would be to edify, to build up. Edification. It mean, and so that word means to be healthy or to be enriched, to fill up, to charge up, or to refresh us. See, edification is more than just a nice, simple encouragement. It's way more than that. It's actually uh, any activity, any and all activities that helps us and to become more Christ-like. And the Bible talks about that even as we would pray in the Spirit, that we would edify ourselves. We've looked over these verses. 1 Corinthians 14 has multiple scriptures in there. Jude chapter 20 says that as I pray in the Spirit, that I'm building up myself on my most holy faith. And, and so there's elements of this. And so this, this, as we see this, we understand. So that's the first part that happens. And, I, and that's very important because sometimes our batteries run low and we need to get recharged. Well, this happens when we cooperate with the Holy Spirit. We allow him to work through us as we pray in the Spirit. And this begins to happen. The second river is the Gihon. I'm going to spend a little bit more time on this one because I think this is maybe one of the most practical as far as everyday things. The word here actually means a bursting forth. Think of a woman in labor. There's something happening that is hidden. Now I know that we got 4D imaging and we got all these things. Let me just tell you. My kids did not look the same when they were born as I saw on those. They look like little marshmallow men on those little 4D things. And it's like, that looks, I hope my kid don't look like that. Like, right? So something hidden has been happening even though I didn't know 
what color hair he would, they would have, what color eyes. I didn't know all these types of things. Are they going to have my pasty white skin or are they going to have my wife's olive tone skin? They got the short end of the stick. They got my pasty skin, I think. Still praying for that one, right? I hope they don't get sunburned like me, but... No, but but there is a bursting forth and there's a labor to bring forth this understanding. And what it really means is that there's something hidden from view that you have to work or look around to bring it out. Now, what does this this really look like? It's revelation. Think about when Simon, when Jesus says, who do men say that I am? Right? Right? And they answer and they say, oh, some people say you're this, that. And then Jesus asks another question. says, okay, who do you say that I am? And Peter pipes up because he's the vocal one of the bunch. He's always the one to go first. And he says, you're the Christ, the Messiah. And Jesus makes a statement and says, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. In other words, nobody else told you. But it actually goes much deeper than that and says, hey, God himself has revealed this to you. There's no, there's no natural way that you could understand this, Peter. That's what we're talking about. It's this moment of revelation. It's like when you're reading scripture and all of a sudden it's like, boom, I get it. That light bulb clicks. And it's like, oh my gosh, I've never got that. The Holy Spirit helps us understand the scriptures. He's our teacher. He's the one who helps us to understand. In John 16, verses 12 and 13, Jesus made this statement and says, there is so much more that I want to tell you. Now, Jesus just told him he's leaving. This would be the most frustrating statement to me if I'm one of the disciples. He said, there's so much more that I want to tell you, but you can't bear it now. But he says, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own, but he will tell you what he has heard. He will even tell you about the future. That's a promise from Scripture, by the way, about the Holy Spirit working in your life. God, you will help me know what I need to know even ahead of time. Now, it doesn't always, let me say this, it doesn't always mean that I know what I'm always praying about. Because sometimes, if I knew what was going to happen, I would pray differently. Let me give you an example. I've shared this story multiple times. You've probably heard me talk about it. My son fell off a countertop, hit his head on the floor, They had to fly him somewhere else. What if God would have told me the day before, hey, Max is going to be on the countertop tomorrow. He's going to fall and hit his head. They're going to see a brain bleed, but don't worry, he's going to be okay. My prayer would have changed. It would have. But there have been multiple times where I kind of get that unction where I'm like, I just need to pray. Like, I don't know what it is. I don't know why it is, but I need to, well, what is the Holy Spirit is trying to help me to pray even ahead of time. And so, and and there are times that God will even speak to us. I'm about to get ahead of myself. Let me just stick with this. So here's a prayer that you can pray over yourself. It's Ephesians chapter one, verse 17 about this specifically. The apostle Paul writing says, for I always pray to, to God, the Lord of our Lord Jesus Christ, the father of glory, that he may grant you a spirit of wisdom and revelation. The amplified Bible adds this and says of insight into mysteries and secrets in the deep and intimate knowledge of him. God's going to talk to you about things that he's hidden for you. He's not hiding anything from you. He's hidden things for you. Jeremiah 33 verse 3 says this. It says, call unto me and I will answer. If you ask, I'll respond. 
And it goes on here and it says, And I will show you great and mighty things, things that are fenced in and hidden, which you do not know, you do not recognize, or have knowledge of and understand. So I said this was practical, so I want to give you a couple practical examples of where I've seen this in my own life. These are super practical things. But one of them was very crucial in our life. This is where I missed it one time. So just so you know, nobody has 100% accuracy hearing and, and following the voice of the Lord. One of the things that I have learned is that one of the best teachers is pain, though. And unfortunately, I had some pain when me and Dara were dating. There were some things that were going on, and she needed a car, and so she didn't really have credit to go get a car. So I was like bound and determined. I was going to go buy her a car. I wanted a particular car. I found it. We go to the dealership, and there was something on the inside of me that said, don't buy this car. I'm like, nope, this is it, this is it, this is it. I paid more for that car repairing it than I'd bought it for. I learned a lesson. That was the Holy Spirit trying to help me. I'm not a car guy, self-admitted. I, I want to get in and crank. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, I mean, I can do a few things, but it's just not my thing. You know, like construction, okay, that's more my world. Like, I, I'm into that kind of stuff. Cars, I just want them to work. You know, I, that, it just frustrates me. Man, we, I mean, literally, she took a right turn one day and the transmission was gone. 3500 bucks. I paid dearly. When I say I paid more for the car, it was more like eight or $9,000 to fix the car over the course of a few years. When we traded the car, I put it on a dolly to take it to the dealership. It's 100%. I was just glad I drove it off the trailer and into the dealership. Like, I was like, praise the Lord. It's like, God, give me 200 feet. Like, just 200 feet. So let me give you another example of this. And this one's more recent, and it actually affects you, and you don't even know it. So when me and Dara were in Arkansas, we were pastoring a church there. Uh, We were renovating a house. We were flipping houses and doing some things, as well as pastoring the church. And uh, so we were renovating this house, and I told Dara, I said, hey, if you like this house, you know, Pick the paint colors you like because I'm not repainting it. If you want to move, we can move into this house. It had this and that. All she knew was it had a pool. And she's like, yes, you know. And, um, and so we put our house on the market. Opening weekend, the house we lived in, we put the house on the market. We get multiple offers. It's a good deal. And it, so they do inspections, appraisals, a whole day deal. Kind of like a normal house buying process. I'm up in my office, which happened to be upstairs in this house. They're doing work, repairing some things on the house. I mean, I can remember it very vividly. Like hammers are going and saws are going and they're fixing stuff. And all of a sudden, I just had this thought. Just kind of, just on the inside. Not like audible, just a thought came and says, you're going to regret this in a year. Now, I've walked with the Lord for a while and I've learned how to recognize his voice, but I wasn't 100% certain. I'm like, and it kind of bothered me for a moment. I'm like, was that the Lord? Like what? And just kind of out of left field, nowhere. Because I'm thinking, man, I've got a plan. God's going to bless us. We're going to move in this nice new house that we've redone. We've been working on it for nine months. It's beautiful. I walked downstairs and I told Dara, I said, I think the Lord just told me if we sell this house, we're going to regret it in a year. That was in August of 17. In October of 18, we moved here. 14 months later. And you're like, well, that's not that big a deal. It would have cost me $40,000. I don't know about you, that's a big deal for me. That's a huge deal for me. 
I call my realtor, and I'm, I mean, because like within an hour, I'm convinced the Lord has told me. Now, these people have spent 1500 bucks probably, renovate or doing inspections, appraisal. I call my realtor, and I said, hey, is there any way I can get out of this contract? I will pay them, I'll give them their money back. I will pay them to not buy my house. Because I believe that the Lord spoke and I would rather pay and be in obedience and miss God than I would to just do my plan and be in disobedience. I'm going to say that again. I would rather pay money to follow what I believe the Lord is instructing me to do than I would to be stuck to my plan and miss God. We're called people of faith. We live by faith, not by knowledge. It made no sense to my natural mind at all. Long story short, she said, there's no way you can get out of this contract. Can't happen. And I was just like, okay, I'm just going to pray. I don't know what else to do. That was on a Wednesday afternoon. Thursday goes by, I didn't hear anything. She calls me Friday morning and she says, you're never going to believe this. I said, what? And she said, they canceled the contract. And I said, for what? And she goes, I have no idea. And I said, did you ever talk to their realtor? She said, no, she never called me back. Nobody knows about our conversation that we had had 36 hours earlier. So when I say it's very practical, it's very practical. God will tell you, don't buy that. Well, why? I don't know. Don't do this. Don't go there. Don't get in a relationship with that person. Well, you know, I just always knew it wasn't quite working out, but I just thought, you know, I'm just going to keep walking it out. And the Lord's going, no, no, no. He's very practical. Now, what I would say is that the Lord is probably never going to say, that's the one, and you're like, mm-mm, no. Probably not going to happen that way. But the Holy Spirit is very practical. He gives us understanding, and not just of Scripture, but even in our life. I'll tell you something I used to do, especially for those of you that are in school. I used to, because I only got saved as a senior in high school. So I went through school by myself, all these, and then I went to college and all these different things. And I would pray before every test. And I would say, Holy Spirit, I thank you that you bring everything back to my remembrance that I've studied. That meant that I had to study, first of all. So don't, don't be like, well, the Holy Spirit knows everything. I'm just going to show up and ace this test. No, the Bible says he'll bring it back to your remembrance. Study and then pray. Father, I thank you. I mean, how many of you ever went to take a test and you just blanked? I knew this last night. Am I the only one? No, the Holy Spirit is very practical. I mean, I could tell you story after story after story in my life. Where the Holy Spirit has done this in my life in very practical ways. Over and over and over and over again. Why? Because he's the guide. He's leading me. He's not forcing me. He'll speak, but I have to listen. So it's important. So this third river. It's the Tigris River. Anybody ever heard of the Tigris River? Now, the word Tigris doesn't necessarily, like it doesn't mean tiger. I can see where you might think that, but it doesn't really. But by definition, it actually means to be powerful or to be vehement, to be rapid, to be active, or to be marked by energy. Think of it this way. How many of you have ever been whitewater rafting? 
How many of you know that a powerful river has sound with it? You can hear it before you even see it. Now, I know we have the Mississippi. You drive over the Mississippi and you're like, is it moving? It's like, why? Because it's wide and it's deep, right? So there's undercurrents that are very powerful, but on the surface, it doesn't look like much is happening. The Tigris River is not marked by that at all. It's got water splashing and noise and why it's a very, it's a very narrow and shallow river, typically with a rocky bed. And so that's what creates the rapids, right? Well, one of the things that signifies, if you've ever been whitewater rafting and right as the guy steers you onto the rock and it stands you straight up and you're like, whoa, you realize the force or if you happen to fall out of the boat and it shoots you down river, you realize the, the power of that river in that moment. Well, this speaks of the power of the Holy Spirit. And again, this isn't power to be weird. It's not power to be strict. It's power to be empowered to live and to be like Christ. So it means all of our failings and our faults and all these rough edges, the Holy Spirit has the power to help us overcome those things. We're not left to ourselves. We are left with the power of the Holy Spirit to work on the inside of us, to cause us to change. I'm going to add this. You're never too old to change. I'll give a little bit of a clarifying statement. My parents' least favorite statement on the planet is that. Well, I'm too old to change. It infuriates both of them. And this is why. Because they say what you're saying is, is that the power of God's not enough. I mean, I was just talking to my dad yesterday about some stuff. And he said, I want to deal with it now. Because I don't want it to later on. Because I haven't dealt with things. Because he saw that in his Parents where things that were kind of under the radar were never dealt with. Well, as they got older and things began to happen in their life. I mean, you ever heard of like the sweet old lady cussing people out in the hospital? If you know anybody in the medical field, they'll tell you. Like the little church mouse is so sweet and kind and she cusses like a sailor. There were undercurrents going on all the time that never got dealt with. I'm just telling you. The Holy Spirit will help us. Why? He wants to purify. He wants to get some of those things out. I know I'm stepping on some toes, but we can limit God because we limit his ability. And the Holy Spirit came to give us power. The last one is the Euphrates River. This is still a river that we know of today. By definition, there's not like this name, there's really, it's not, there's not a definition for the Euphrates River. So we can look in other scriptures and other places. Um, and, and so I'll, I'll give you one. It comes in Revelations chapter 9, verse 14 and 15. And it says, and it's an interesting verse, but it says that four demons are actually being held until the tri- tribulation period in the Euphrates River. It's kind of an interesting verse. You're like, well, and I, look, I don't have an answer. I'm not even going to attempt to try to explain this to you. But let me say it this way, is that the river is restraining demonic forces. It says that when these four demons are released, they will kill quarters of the earth. It says they're so evil and so vile that right now they're being restrained by the Euphrates River. And so what I believe this represents, and I'm not saying this absolutely, but I can see how this could be true. Is that I believe that this represents that the Holy Spirit is able to uh, is able to hold back demonic power as we pray in the Spirit. As we begin to pray in the Holy Spirit, that even the works of darkness 
would be dispelled. Would thing, and assignments of the enemy against you and that, that you can actually pray, even not knowing about it. You say, well, well, I don't deal with that. Have you ever had a coworker that just hated you and you didn't know why? It's probably just, I'll say it this way. It may not be that they just don't like you. It actually may be a spiritual thing going on that you're unaware of. And that happens all the time. I mean, I pray all the time that I have favor with people everywhere I go. I'd rather have favor than hate. I know that. So, I, you know, and I pray this. And, and so, as I begin to pray, 1 Corinthians 14, 14 says, If I pray in an unknown tongue, if I pray in my spirit, my spirit by the work of the Holy Spirit within me prays, even though my mind is unproductive. It bears no fruit and it helps no one. When I'm praying in the spirit, it's not here. It's from my innermost being. Out of my spirit man, I'm praying in cooperation with the Holy Spirit. And as I'm praying, it's actually hindering the work of darkness in my life, around my life, in my family, in this church. Why? Because I'm praying by the help of the Holy Spirit praying about things that I don't even have any knowledge of because sometimes God doesn't need us to know the details what he needs us to do is to pray because if we know the details we pray differently and sometimes God just says why don't you pray and let me handle the details now the word that I would use to describe this would be intercession and prayer there are times, not always, but there are times, even as I pray in the Spirit, that it's like I kick into a different gear. You know, I got a new truck a few months ago, and it has this little button on it called sport mode. And it changes the, the, the shifting. And so if I want to pass somebody, and I want a little extra something, I hit the little button. It's a lot of fun, right? It was a hidden thing until Kyle told me about it. And then he set me free. <laughs> to speed to my heart's delight. No. No, but there are times that even as I pray in the Spirit. That I, I mean, I've been filled with the Holy Spirit for well over 20 years. And I've said this for almost every week. Being filled with the baptism of the Holy Spirit is never a reason for pride. The moment you get into pride, you're in error. The moment. It's a responsibility to pray. But there are times that I'll be praying in the Spirit and I can sense the Holy Spirit just kind of take it to another gear. Kind of kick it like into that sport mode. And it's like, oh, we're doing something. And many times the Lord will give me understanding about what I'm praying about. Not always. But it's different. And I can sense it. I, and I've had some pretty awesome times. I've, I mean, I, I could tell you stories of, of ways that the Holy Spirit has, has worked in my life. And they're kind of mind-boggling in some ways. And... Things that I can't explain. But I, it, let me just give you a real simple test. How do I know if it's the Holy Spirit? I, I just feel prompted to share this. How do I know if it's the Holy Spirit speaking, working? Is there peace? If there's not peace, it's not God. If there's confusion, it's not God. There's peace. Now, it doesn't mean that God may not speak something like me, like, you're going to regret selling this house. My mind kind of went tilt. Like, What? Like, I'm going to make money here. I'm going to make money over here. I'm going to make money everywhere. And God's going, no, you're not going to make money. You're going to lose more money than you think you can make. And God wants to help us by the work of the Holy Spirit. And so even as we're praying and, and out of our innermost being, this, this prayer language will rise up on the inside of you. 
There's nothing weird about it. Nothing crazy is going to happen. And I've shared over the last number of weeks about, uh, you know, even me desiring to be filled with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I struggled because I couldn't get out of my own head. I couldn't get out of my own way. And I know this is simplistic, but it's the best way I know how to communicate it. At some point, my desire to be filled with the baptism of the Holy Spirit overwhelmed my desire to understand how it worked. Because that's me. When I was a kid, I had a bike, brand new bike. I took it completely apart because I wanted to know how it worked. Problem was, I didn't know how to put it back together. And <laughs> neither did my dad. It got put in a box and it stayed there until we threw it away. So my mind is always, how does this work? How does this work? At some point, I just had to say, God, if, if you want it for me, I want it. And in a moment of time, just that fast, I didn't understand it. I didn't know anything about it. I, it's one reason why I preach this passionately. Outside of my salvation, it's the single greatest thing that's ever happened to me. Because I don't know where I would be without the ability to pray in the Spirit. I really have no idea. So the Bible is very clear. Well, how do you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit? You ask. You ask to be saved. You ask to be filled with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? What's going to happen? Is God just going to force me to start praying? No. He won't make you do anything. I said that earlier. But you can ask to be filled with the presence of the Holy Spirit. And I shared this, I don't remember which week it was, but, you know, the only thing you have to do to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit is to be saved. It's the only thing. And it doesn't have to be weird, it doesn't have to be crazy, it doesn't have to be strange. I haven't said it much this time around, but many times when I preach about the Holy Spirit, I always like to throw in the fact is that the Holy Spirit's not weird. People are weird. They were weird before the Holy Spirit. They were weird after the Holy Spirit. Stop blaming Him. They were always weird. Some people are going to be fanatical. But don't throw out the truth because you may have had a bad experience. Look, I've had bad experiences. I've had lots of them. I mean, for years I questioned, even though I was spirit-filled, I questioned how much because of my experiences with people. Because I had some really negative experiences. And I'm sure many of you have had some negative experiences. And you're like, that was weird and that was hurtful and I want nothing to do with it. I understand. I really do. But I can tell you as somebody who has walked the process and walked with the Lord. And I've seen the power of the Holy Spirit work in my life, man. And if you have questions, reach out. But I want to pray over you this morning. And if you're here and you want to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, I'm going to lead you in a prayer. It's not hard. It's not complicated. I'm going to give a, a prayer of salvation. If you're here this morning and you say, man, I've never surrendered my heart to the Lord. But all that that you were just talking about, I need that. It's available. So I'm going to lead us all in a prayer of salvation this morning. And then after that, I'm going to go straight into the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And so if either one of those apply to you. The Bible says all you have to do is what? Confess with your mouth, believe in your heart that Jesus is who he said. If you believe that Jesus came, then you can believe that the Holy Spirit has been sent. Because Jesus said, when I leave, I'm going to send him. Same amount of faith. It's nothing crazy. And you have to receive by faith. You have to receive by faith for salvation. You have to receive by faith for, sal- for the baptism of the Holy Spirit.
So would you pray with me this morning? Say, dear Heavenly Father, I thank you. I thank you for Jesus. I thank you that he came for me. That he died for me. That he paid the price for my sins. So that I could be 100% forgiven. Made new in him. I thank you that you're my Savior. That you're my Lord. That you bring all good things into my life. And I thank you for it. In Jesus' name. Now, Heavenly Father, I thank you that I see in your word that your desire is that I can be filled with the Holy Spirit. I receive my prayer language right now. I have a direct line of communication with you that out of my spirit, man, that I can pray that the devil may not know what I'm praying, but you do. And I thank you for all that it produces in my life. In Jesus' name.